0: Anyway, uh, for those of you who were here last week, I was talking a little bit about preaching and how it's a little unnatural for me to not have a guitar in in front of me. Well, it just so happened, coincidentally, Christine Kimmel, who is not here today, I so wish that she was, she gave me a little gift. She had found this in a store and thought of me and bought it. It's a guitar-shaped pen. So... There are no excuses. I'm setting it right here. So technically, I am behind a guitar. Isn't that cool? And it just worked worked out like that. One of those godly coincidences. Anyway, uh, it's wonderful to see you all here this morning. Uh, before I pray, I just want to give a quick thank you and a shout out to Kellyanne Conway. Doesn't she do a great job leading, helping me out this morning? We are, we are so blessed to have, well, the whole Conley family here, but... At times like this, especially to have someone like Kelly who, at, at such a young age, just, man, I don't know what would happen if I had, had that kind of head on my shoulders. Well, well, for one, I wouldn't have all the great stories that I have, but, <laughs> but it probably would have been nice to avoid a few of those pitfalls, some of those not so godly and wise decisions. Anyway, let me pray before we get started. Dear God, Heavenly all-powerful, sovereign, gracious, and mighty God. Thank you for bringing us all here this morning. Lord, this is a beautiful church, and I am very proud to be a member here. I love these folks, Lord, and I pray that what I have to say this morning is what you would have me say this morning. Lord, I pray against any of the, uh, the tendencies that a preacher gets to go down rabbit holes and waste time. Lord, I pray that every... Every word be anointed by you, despite the vessel that you are using, Lord, to deliver it. So, Lord, send your spirit among us this morning. Open up the eyes and the ears and make way for the word of the Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, it shouldn't be any surprise, given my history, that I'm going to start out with a story this morning. takes place back in 1979. Uh, Just a little side note. I remembered to make it in a bigger font. Isn't that... (laughs) Never too old to learn, right? So I may have to resort to these, but we'll see how it goes. Anyway, 1979, I was a young guitar player. Uh, Actually, I was kind of a young everything back then. I was 21 years old. I was stationed at Nellis Air Base in Nevada. And at that time, I had been playing guitar about, let me see, 14, 21, It's about seven years, but I had only been playing electric seriously, which is kind of a different animal, for about two years. Well, I had a couple friends out there that loved playing music. So on our days off, we would gather at the little rec center, and they had some beat-up amplifiers, they had a beat-up drum set, a barely passable PA system that you could sing through, but we'd gather there, and we would just bash out all the garage band tunes, you know, Louie Louie and uh, Chuck Berry things, whatever, we, you know. And I thought I was doing okay. Well, one day we're down there uh, having our little jam session, and these two guys show up. Now, now judging by the way they were dressed, I, they they had uh, like the hip clothes, man, and they had long hair. And I, I just said, yeah, they're probably dependent sons of a military person because they obviously... We're not in the military. You know, our hair wasn't even touching our ears. But these guys, they looked like rockers. Well, they came in, they they plugged in their instruments, and they they started playing. And, man, they started to play things that were just beyond me. Not only were they playing things that were beyond me, they were talking in a language that was beyond me. And, Debbie, you'll appreciate this. They were talking about uh, harmonic minor scales. They were talking about flat five substitution chords. Dude, they may as well have been speaking Klingon because I didn't get it at at all. But as as they proceeded to play and talk, I just felt myself shrinking, shrinking smaller and smaller, right? Because I didn't know what they were talking about. And I felt embarrassed and ashamed because I couldn't do what they could do. And instead of, you know, manning up and playing what I did know, which, granted, it wasn't on that jazz side of things that, that they were playing, I could play it pretty well. But I just threw that all out the window, and I just packed my stuff up, and I fled the scene. And I was not wagging my tail behind me, I'll tell you that. I couldn't get out of there fast enough. And between leaving that place and that evening, now granted there were maybe, as they say on that cops show, there may have been two beers involved, but I had a couple of beers and I just convinced myself I was going to quit playing guitar. Nope, I give up. I'm going to quit. I'm going to go back to playing the accordion or the drums. Those are the other two things that I could play. But I was definitely going to give up guitar. Well, I had a buddy of mine, his name was Rick Hanley. And he was this country boy from Georgia. And he listened to me. He listened to me rant and rave. And then when I was finished, he lit into me like I had stolen something from him. He completely just ripped away all this pride that I had. Because I was, not only was I raging about quitting guitar, I was talking about those long-haired hippies that had come in. And they didn't belong there, and they shouldn't have been there. And what were they doing on my military base with their long hair and their cool clothes, right? I was just picking at things, man. I was resentful, and I was envious, and I was jealous. But at the core, I was hurt, and I was embarrassed, and I was lashing out at the object of my embarrassment. Well, first of all, Rick, he he looked at me, and he said, You blew it, dude it. He goes, you blew an amazing learning opportunity. If you could have just opened your eyes and your ears, those guys were playing some great stuff, man. You could have used that. I go, what was that weird jazz stuff? He goes, dude, you like the Almond Brothers, right? And I go, yes, I do. He goes, that's weird jazz stuff that guys like us play. And I go, yeah, you're right. And he said, besides, and this is the part that got me, he quoted Jimi Hendrix at me. And everybody loved Jimi Hendrix back then. Just like, he was like Oprah back then. (laughs) Everybody loved him. And he he looked at me, he said, Jimi Hendrix said, you never quit, no matter where you're at on the continuum of guitar playing. See, a lot of people start playing guitar and the, the first time they have to play a bar chord, they quit. A lot of people start playing guitar, but the first time they have to play in a key that, other than C or G, they quit anyway he told me you, you never quit and I, I took it to heart you know it was painful to hear because you know we want to be right we don't want to we don't want anybody telling us that that we were playing out of pocket and especially we don't want our friends right we kind of go oh man I thought you were on my side not realizing that he was speaking to me the truth in love and God bless you Rick Henley wherever you are man because I did not quit And I just hope I can find him on Facebook someday. Just a little side note. He was an amazing banjo player. And he worked in the armory handing out weapons. So when I'd go on shift, a military policeman, we'd walk up to the armory. And this is back in the days of Steve Martin. I am not kidding. He'd be back there playing the banjo with bunny ears on, (laughs) handing us our weapons. An amazing guy. So I really want to find him. You all pray that I find Rick Henley if you would. See, what, what had happened is I had played the comparison game. I compared myself to other folks, and I lost. I lost that game. I lost big time. Teddy Roosevelt referred to comparison as the thief of joy. That's what that is up there. You all thought it was a new Harry Potter book, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, okay. Now, I would propose, though, that uh, that Teddy is not referring to all comparison. You know, we compare things all the time, right? Uh, when I Bought my guitar amplifier right there? I compared like a wild man. I, I was looking for special features I wanted. I wanted it even in that case a certain color. And I also wanted it at a price that wouldn't make Tina think I had lost my mind. So we compare. Uh, I'm sure that everyone here this morning has compared items. I don't think there's a one of us here that has bought anything of significant value by just putting our hand in a fishbowl and pulling out a piece of paper and go, oh, I guess I'm buying a Ford Taurus. We don't do that, do we? <laughs> right? We compare. There's, there's a magazine dedicated to comparing, Consumer Reports. How many of you all get that? Anybody here get Consumer Reports? Yeah. And I get it. I read those, those comparison reviews. And the Yelp website, what is that for? for comparing, right? You want to find who's got the most stars. You know, I'm in the mood for a burrito but I want the best burrito in Almaden Valley. I don't want some second-rate, third-world burrito. I want, so you go to Yelp and you look. However, uh, you know, Yelp, they're not doing it for free, obviously. I mean, they made like five billion dollars, something like that. Let me pull this out, because I may have exaggerated that number. Oh, goodness, good heavens. (laughs) They made a billion dollars, so not five billion. So maybe I I can acquire that company next week after all. It's only worth a billion. Uh, Anyway, they made almost a billion dollars last year because we like to compare stuff. Right? You love to compare stuff. We just do. We love to compare stuff. However, as enjoyable as the comparison process is... There's a group of folks who would rather that we didn't compare at all. Uh, These folks would be way happier if we just took their word for it and bought whatever they were advertising, right? Advertising people. They don't want you to compare. They want you to take their word for it and buy whatever they're being paid to lie, I mean, to to talk about. Uh, The entire premise of the advertising business is this to get people to want what they do not have by showing us pictures and movies of other people enjoying things that we do not have, and we will be motivated to buy things that we do not have yet. We we don't have it yet. Advertisers don't want us comparing anything at all. They don't want us comparing things. Consumer Reports wants us to compare things. Advertisers want us to compare ourselves to other people. You Buy this and you get this. You buy this and people will think you're like that. Right? Is that understood? They they want us to compare ourselves to other people. Here's a little side note, and I'm going to share it with you because I did the math and I was really proud of it. Uh, How much money do you think advertising generated last year, worldwide, global. Any figures? Do I hear $2? $2? It's going to be higher. Be high. <laughs> Mary? $1. Do I have $1? Uh, I'll cut to the chase. $628 billion. $628 billion. If, if you had to put that into how many times you say billion, it would be 628 times. Anybody get that? OK. Anyway. In physical terms, now I went on a website, found out what a million dollars would look like in physical space, did some calculating, found the magic cube root calculator that's online. $628 billion is a cube. 66 feet on a side and 66 feet high. Probably be able to fill this entire space with stacks of $100 bills. That doesn't have a whole lot to do with the message, but I just thought it was so cool, <laughs> and I wanted to share it with you. <laughs> because that's what they spend every year to, compare, to make you compare yourself with other people. It's big business. So when does the comparison activity cross the line from just being a careful and a smart shopper into that toxic category, that thief of joy that Teddy Roosevelt was referring to, when does the act of comparing become the thief of joy? Well, you just add this magic ingredient. Just add a little bit of pride. Just drench that in pride, right? Pride will warp and distort the act of comparing. So instead of enjoying the success and the happiness of other people, we can find ourselves envious, jealous, covetous, and bitter. When we should be saying, congratulations, I'm happy for you, we think to ourselves, what about me? What about me? Instead of enjoying another's success, Maybe they bought a new car or a new house. Instead of sharing that joy, pride twists the act of comparing into what about me? I should have that car. I should have that house. I should have gotten that ministry job. Yeah, no place or no one is safe. I should have you know, gotten that guitar or that spouse, I should have had those kids, or that cat. There's nothing that is safe. The list is endless. It's not simply wanting what we don't have. It's wanting what we think we deserve. Maximizing the ego and at the same time minimizing our sin. What we think we deserve. It's the willful setting aside of reality. At the reality that we are, every single one of us, sinners saved by grace, deserving of death, yet pardoned by a sovereign God. It is the willful refusal to be grateful and content with what we've been given. And we will talk about those uh, little items a little bit later in the message. But for now, if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, Would you mind turning to Genesis chapter 4? We're going to read verses 1 through 7. And we are going to read a story about a comparison that goes horribly awry. And you'll all be familiar with it. Okay, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Now, I'm sure that we're all familiar with the story and how it turns out. Cain is so consumed by jealousy and anger that he kills his own brother. He compared himself to another person. He got a real, real bad case of the what about me's and he totally loses it. It's easy for us now in in hindsight to look back and read that passage and we can find the flaws in Cain's actions. I mean, after all, Abel brought what we recognize now having read the scriptures, what we recognize as like the pinnacle of offerings right, you bring the firstborn you bring the fatted portions whereas Cain brought fruit that had already fallen to the ground he picked it up brought it to the Lord but to be fair, picking fruit up off the ground in the hot sun it's it's not easy work any of you who have ever done it you know it's not easy work it's backbreaking so i think it's safe to assume that cain felt like he had worked just as hard as his brother he had worked just as hard maybe even harder that attitude of self-justification other words you know i worked just as hard as he did Inflates the ego. It provides the perfect breeding ground for that what-about-me attitude. God did not personally attack Cain. On the contrary, he, nor did he belittle him. Based on what we read about the sin crouching at the door, God actually implies that Cain will get another chance at some point in the future. He's not outright dismissing him and saying, Oh, nice try. See you later but Cain doesn't want to hear any of that and I don't think he did I don't think he heard any of that toxic comparison had stolen every ounce of his joy every ounce of his joy and Cain in turn made his own brother the object the cause and ultimately the victim of his wrath but if if we take toxic comparison, and that, I don't know if that term even exists, I kind of invented it for this message, to differentiate it from ordinary garden variety uh, comparison, but toxic comparison, it it's like a sword in that it can be swung in any direction. So that not only can we compare upwards, are the ones that we think have more or that are in a better place than we are, but we can swing that sword downward onto those that we perceive to be less than we are. Okay, we're going to turn now to the Gospel of Luke, going New Testament, and we're going to start reading at chapter 18, verse 9, and I'm going to give you all a moment to get there. We're going to explore a little story about comparing in that downward direction. Swinging the sword at the little people, as it were. All right, give you all a minute to get there. Luke 18, beginning at verse 9. He also told this parable, speaking of Jesus. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Now the twist in the story that we just read is that instead of de- desiring what someone else has, this person exalts himself over another based on what he thinks he has. He is still saying, "Hey, what about me?" But there's a little bit more swagger when he says it this time. Instead of, "What about me?" It's more like this. "Hey!" What about me? Ain't I something? Ain't I... I, Man, I'm better than him. I'm better than those cats over there. Yeah, what about me? Still saying what about me, but with a little bit more swagger. And I apologize for any folks from the East Coast. I don't know why I go New York on that, but I do. Anyway. So he's swinging the sword down. He's swinging the sword down. Maximizing that ego... He's minimizing his own sin. Now, I know that's a very exaggerated example. Most of the the time, the attitude expressed is in a much subtler way. But what is not subtle is how Jesus regarded that behavior. I think he's crystal clear about this type of behavior, and for a very good reason, there will be eternal consequences. There's eternal consequences for that. A time is going to come when we're going to stand before the Lord, each and every one of us. And we're going to be called to answer for our actions and or our inactions. I don't know exactly what eternal humbling looks like, but I'm certain that I do not want any part of it. No thank you. In his book, Uh, What's So Amazing About Grace?, Philip Yancey recounts a story about talking with a drug-addicted prostitute who had fallen into the most heinous circumstances you can imagine. I, I'm not, I'm not going to recount those circumstances uh, in exact detail, but trust me on this, they were absolutely heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. Anyway, he listens to her story, and he asked her if she had ever thought about going to the church for help. And she reacted like he had doused her with scalding water. She literally recoils in disbelief and horror and says, The church? Why would I ever go there? I'm already feeling bad enough as it is. Now, that's not the church I want to represent. And I don't think that's the church that any of you here this morning want to represent. There is no room for even the slightest hint of a superior attitude in the kingdom of God. Can you see, as I have, how toxic comparison subverts the Lord's mission? Whether you're swinging the sword up or you're swinging the sword down, you're getting in the way of what God wants to do. And it's a thief of joy. It will steal your joy it robs you of happiness it's dangerous you know whether whether you're comparing yourself to someone you think is better or whether you're putting yourself in a position over someone else I mean that's something we all have to guard against it's a distortion of the truth and it obscures the cross now I'm as my daughter can attest I am by no means a dancer but I'm going to attempt an interpretive dance just to illustrate this point. I know I'm brave, but I, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. I'm looking at the cross, and everything in our life, everything, family, friends, hope, dreams, desires, is at the foot of that cross. That's the proper perspective. Amen? Amen. Thank you. However, when we start to focus on things that are not the cross, the perspective changes, and they get bigger, and they loom larger, and they loom larger, and then before you know it, you're standing like this at the foot of the cross, wondering where Jesus is. That's the dance. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'll learn a couple of more moves maybe for next year or something. But that's just that illustration. I know it's very simple and it's it's goofy, but you can use it with kids. And it's true. And isn't that how Jesus did things? He gave us things that you can use with kids but that are true. When that gets up there and blocks the eyes, you don't know what God wants you to do. If you can't hear him or you can't see him or you're not listening, You're not going to do what God wants you to do. It's impossible. In proper perspective, the cross stands apart and above all other aspects of our lives. I'm just going to save that one. I like that. Comparison will not only steal our joy, but it will cripple our relationship with God. It will cripple our relationship with God. When we spend any time at all in either of those attitudes... We lose sight of why we're here and what we're here for. Now, Beth Moore had this to say about comparison. Not only is comparison a waste of time, but it can also be deadly. We can allow resentment to kill our opportunity to grow. God, sovereign God, reserves the right to handle us as individually as the prince he stamped on the ends of our fingers. Each and every one of us has the potential for toxic comparison in either direction. We're all on a continuum of privilege, sandwiched between haves and have-nots, the have-mores, the have-lesses. We're all on that continuum. Any of us here can be at a traffic light in San Jose behind a Ferrari well, actually, around here, it would probably be a Tesla. But we can could, we could be at, at the light behind the Tesla. And who's standing on the median holding a cardboard sign, homeless and hungry? We're on that continuum. We can be in the grocery store and behind someone with a basket piled high with groceries. And we're grumbling to ourselves that our ice cream is melting. And behind us is someone counting out change to buy a couple of cans of formula. We're all on that continuum. So how do we guard ourselves against toxic comparison? Well, step one, you, you be grateful. You be grateful all the time, not just at Thanksgiving, all the time. I preached the sermon years ago, and the, the title was Grateful people live gracious lives. The idea being that a truly grateful heart overflows into the life of that grateful believer. You can't help it. If you're truly grateful, you treat people with respect, and you're humble, and we wake up every morning saying, Thank you, Lord. First of all, you, you thank him that you opened your eyes on your own, right? And if you need to, just start thanking him for other things. Because, you know, I don't know about you all, but I, I wake up in my own bed, in my own house, uh, with, surrounded by family. I mean, you don't have... If you're here this morning, you have so much to be grateful for. But that's Step one. And once we get some gratitude in our lives and we're operating out of that place of that grateful heart, we can move on to the next step, which is contentment. Now, contentment is one of those terms that it's not as easily understood as you might think it is. It doesn't mean that you've given up your hopes and dreams. Okay? It does not mean that at all. On the contrary, being content can actually provide like a peace of mind and a a calm spirit to where you can work on that next step of your life. It, It doesn't mean you're settling for second best or settling for less. What contentment is, it's saying to God, thank you for what you have so graciously provided for me. Thank you. I will continue to work toward personal goals. However, if it's your will that I remain where I am at that I'm going to do everything I can with what I've been given that's contentment here's how uh, the great apostle Paul talked about it in Philippians 4:12 you don't necessarily have to turn there but if you you know I'm not going to stop you I wouldn't be much of a bible church if I went down stopping you no no take my word for it <laughs> i'm in advertising no This is Paul, beginning at, uh, at, what was it, chapter 4, verse 12. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Did he say something about a secret? What could that possibly be? Well, being the good apostle that Paul was, he spells it out for us in the very next verse. He says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, I, I really like the way that this verse is rendered in the good news version of the Bible. It's rendered thus. I have the strength to face all conditions by the power that Christ gives me. Now, I, I don't read, I don't use the, the good news as a devotional, but once in a while they render something in such a way that I think it adds a little bit more in a contemporary situation. First off, I love the, the, the phrase power of Christ. You give me a verse that has that in it power of Christ, I'm there. Now, granted, we know who he's talking about when he says him, through him who strengthens me, but it's just cooler, at least to me, by the power of Christ. And I also found it interesting that he uses the term all conditions, because that can be applied to both having a lot and having a little, right? So, what I've extrapolated, the implication here, is that the power of Christ is necessary to manage our lives, whether we have a little or a lot. Now, historically, because of Paul's hardship stories, uh, I thought that most of the time I just regarded that as, yeah, you lean on Christ when things are bad. You know, you lean on Christ when you're shipwrecked, if that ever happens to any anyone here. But when I was preparing the message, I... You know, you feel that... I, I get flashes of, what am I doing this? Oh, me? you got to be kidding. I'm crazy. I start panicking. This is not me. So that's when I lean on, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. As, as that encouragement. But when he talks about it in all conditions, he's also referring to godly stewardship of what we have. See, if you've got riches material riches you still need Christ to help you manage those having Christ keeps you from lording over other people right it keeps you from regarding yourself as anything more than a sinner saved by grace so you need Christ whether you got it all or whether you have nothing if we lean hard on the example of Christ's humility it it ensures us that our material blessings will be used to exalt him to expand his kingdom and it protects us against that toxic comparison and lastly remember who you are if any of you and I'm sure most of you have if you've seen the movie The Lion King yes I'm going full Disney here There's a part where the the cute little lion is looking in the pool of water and he sees his reflection. And superimposed over his reflection is the face of his father who has passed away. But his father appears to him and he tells him, Simba, remember who you are. And it's powerful. It kind of chokes me up, man. (laughs) That's not the first Disney that's choked me up. And it probably will not be the last But as followers of Christ we have been declared children of the King. And as such we have certain responsibilities. One of them is that we need to represent our Father in the best possible way. He's provided each and every one of us with an earthly model for what that looks like. So there's no excuse for any foolishness. If any of us here any of us if you feel the need if i feel the need to compare myself with anyone else i should start by comparing myself to jesus am i speaking the words that jesus would have spoken am i listening in the way that jesus would have listened am i living in the way that jesus lived am i loving in the way that Jesus loved. Ephesians 5, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Now as I close, I want to say a few words to my family. That's who you guys are to me. You're my family. In the six years I've been with you, we've suffered some pretty serious injuries, both personally and financially. Our congregation has gotten smaller, while some other churches have gotten bigger. Our budget has shrunk. Other churches are putting up new buildings. It would be wonderful to have more people to help out in kids' club, to help out in the choir. That would be awesome. It would be amazing to have unlimited funds, right, to expand the kingdom, however we chose to do it. But on the other side of things, there's churches that close every week. There was probably a church somewhere around here that closed this weekend. There are churches who don't have a permanent building. There are churches who don't have a worship team and a choir. And most importantly to me and to the rest of us here is that there are churches that don't have you guys. Deep breath. Deep breath. You guys are the most precious resource that this church has. The gifts and the talents that show up here every Sunday. They're amazing. They're truly remarkable, especially for a church this size. And I would like you I'd like rather to leave you with one more quote. Daniel. This is from Beth Moore and it's right on right on the point with what I've been talking about this morning no matter what anyone has that you don't have no one gets to have more Jesus than you no one gets to have more access to God than you no one is more loved or cherished no one gets to worship him more enjoy him more savor his words more trust him more sing to him more Or receive more of his warmth and comfort. Now I had a little note here saying time permitting. And what I would like to do is have everybody read this with me. But everywhere it says you, say I do. So it goes, no matter what anyone has that I don't have, no one gets to have more of Jesus than I do. No one gets to have more access to God than I do. No one is more loved or cherished. No one gets to worship him more, enjoy him more, savor his words more, trust him more, sing to him more, or receive more of his warmth and comfort than I do. Thank you. Would you pray with me, please? Lord God, we thank you for all that we have been given. Though we were found to be unworthy, you provided a means by which we could come before you in humility by the grace of your son. Lord, we pray that you continue to keep us safe from all temptations, that you would keep us ever mindful of the price that you paid for our freedom and of the responsibility that we have to ensure that the ransom was not paid in vain. Let us remain steadfast in the knowledge of who we truly are Children of the King, blessed beyond measure and living every minute to the glory of your name. Amen.